Amen. Our scripture passage this morning uh, will come from the book of Numbers. We're going to look just briefly at Numbers chapter 6 this morning. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, please turn there or open it on your phone. Uh, And would you stand this morning for the reading of God's Word? Numbers 6 comes in the middle of the book of Numbers, and there's much that has happened around here, and we'll explain some of that context in a moment, but we're going to be looking at verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and this is a passage that is maybe familiar to many of us. It's often used as a a benediction, even here at Trinity, a, a blessing, a good word for God's people. And in context, it's given uh, by the priests to God's people. But even for us, this blessing extends to us. This is what God speaks over his people, a good word. So let's turn our attention to God's word. Number six, beginning in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this good word. Lord, as we turn to it, as we seek to learn from it, to know what is true, what is right and beautiful and good, Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit, minister to us. These words might give us life and give us hope, and know where our true blessing lies. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure over the the Christmas holidays, uh, at some point you've watched some Christmas movies. Uh, Maybe they're Hallmark movies, maybe they're more classic movies. There's one particular movie, though, that I think has stood the test of time at least the last 70 or so years, and it's called It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Maybe you watch it on Christmas Eve, maybe you watch it on on New Year's Eve. It's a movie that tells the story of George Bailey. And George Bailey, if you know the story, is from this small town, Bedford Falls. And he lives in this small town, and and really the whole point of the movie initially is that he wants to get out of this town, right? He wants to get out of Bedford Falls, and he can't leave his, his dad's little business. And it's a whole story of how he ends up staying in this town and always longing to go and see the world. And so much so that there's this frustration building throughout this this movie, and he stays in the town, and then there's this pivotal moment where $5,000 is lost from his business, and everything's going to fall apart. And George has this moment where he says these words, I wish I had never been born. I wish I'd never been born. And in the background of this whole movie, there's these sort of fictitious angels that are trying to like, pull the strings and make his life work. And in this moment, what happens is the angel shows up, the angel Gabriel shows up, and he comes and he shows George what would have happened if his life had never happened, if he had never been born. And it's this moment, if you watch the movie, where you probably all say something to the extent of, that would be fascinating maybe a little unnerving, to see what life would be like if I had never been born. Now, we're not going to try to do that this morning, but why I bring this up is that there is something innate in us to want to know what story we are part of. And George in this movie gets that. He gets to see all the things that never would have happened, the people that would have uh, had very drastically different and worse lives if he had never been, been born. Now, the good news for us is we don't need sort of some experience like that to know our story. It's given for us here in number six. 
We are given a story that we get to be a part of. As you look at a new year, and there's all the, the hopes, fears, dreams, anxieties that are wrapped up in a new year. Maybe you just sort of ignore it. Other people are very focused on that. But what we see in this passage here is a, is a picture of a story that is true. And it's given to God's people as they're about to go into the wilderness. It comes in the context of numbers. As they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, they are given these words as they go out. And so as we look at this together, what we see is that we are created for blessing. We are created for blessing. These words in this, this page are not just an ancillary little interesting thing, but they connect with the very thing that all of us are created for, the blessing of God, to be in His, in his presence. Now, maybe if you start reading through the Bible uh, this year, this coming year, you know, sometime in January or February, we'll get to numbers, right? And numbers in Leviticus is usually where our Bible plans sort of hit some rocky toil and end, maybe, for the year. And so to, to help you out in February, when you get to numbers, this is what's happening in numbers. It begins with this census. God's people are preparing to go into the promised land. And they're ready, they're getting excited, and there, there are some, some consecrations, some regulations that God is giving them to say, this is how you will go forward with a holy God and people who are not holy apart from God's activity, these people need to have some instructions. And they go forward, and just before they begin to leave Mount Sinai and go out towards the promised land, the place of blessing, they're given this, this word, this good word that the Lord would bless them and keep them. But you know maybe the rest of the story, right? This triumphal procession towards the promised land quickly was met with grumbling, with frustration, with questioning God's will to say, this is far more difficult than I thought it would be. There are no leeks here. There are no onions. There's no good food. What are we going to do? It's interesting to think of that journey and the ensuing 40 years of wandering in the desert with this blessing being spoken over God's people. So this wasn't just a, a one-time blessing. This was a blessing that was given regularly to God's people that became part of the very fabric of their lives. And so picture God's people in the wilderness being reminded that they are created for blessing, that the Lord blesses them and keeps them. Let's pay attention to the first words of this blessing together. We see that it comes from God. Now, that might seem obvious, God is the one blessing, but it's worth pausing for a moment and reflecting on the, the magnitude of that that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, that these words are not sort of created, made up, helpful sort of to guide us, but they are from God himself. God is the one who is, in a sense, in the business of blessing his people. We can see that throughout Scripture. We don't have to go far back in God's word to see that God has been in the business of blessing his people. When he called Abraham, what did he do? He said, I will bless you. I will make your nation, your name great. I will work through you. I will bless you. If you go even further back, as God creates man and woman, what does he say? He made them male and female, and he blessed them. God's blessing is right from the beginning. As God's people were with him in the garden in this blessed reality, it was a place of enjoying his presence. God's people, you and I, are created for blessing. We are created to be in the presence of of God. And this reminds God's people of that. This benediction, this good word in number six reminds us of what we need, of what we are longing for, of where we find our true blessing. So we see it as from God, but we also see that this blessing is for the people. If you look just earlier in chapter six of Numbers, you see that it talks about the Nazarite vow. 
Now, the Nazarites are those who would take a vow of, of holiness. They would be set apart for God. And what's interesting is it might make sense for a lot of us to say, here's a Nazarite vow, these people who are setting themselves apart for God. And then we get to this blessing, and we say, oh, it would be for the, the Nazarites. But no, it's for all God's people. It's for all his people that he has called and set apart for himself. It is for you and I as we have faith in Christ. It is for us. This blessing is not for some division of, of super Christians or super saints. It is for those who humbly trust in God for their salvation. It is a good word, a blessing for us all. We are created for it, and we need this blessing, this blessing that is, is mediated through the priests. The priests are to give it to the people. In a sense, it is, is it a prayer? It is a prayer that is offered for God's people. This blessing is not sort of a, an incantation or a, a magic set of words that will somehow change the course of God's people, but it is something that reminds them what is true. It is something that connects them to the favor of God, the very covenant promises that God has made to them. It says, remember that this is true. This is who you are. You have a God who will not leave you, a God who blesses you in a way that was, was far different than they anticipated. They weren't anticipating going to the wilderness. They were anticipating the promised land, and yet this passage remains true, that God blessed his people and cared for them. Now, as, as you and I think about blessing, as we think about the things that maybe we, we, we think with those words, um, good things happening, how does that happen? Many of us, if we're honest, think that the good things in our life come, come from ourselves, from what we're going to do. Uh, maybe you saw this, this uh, study that was done recently. Uh, somebody surveyed 20,000 Americans and asked this question. If you were asked to safely land a passenger airplane in an emergency situation, relying only on the assistance of air traffic control, do you feel confident you could do it? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but the results of this poll say that 46% uh, of men have a high degree of confidence that they could pull this off. Um, we can ask some of the pilots in the room later. My guess, as I've talked to a few, uh, is that the senses probably couldn't find the radio to talk to air traffic control. <laughs> so our confidence may be, may be poorly placed. Why do I bring that up? Because I think a lot of us have that confidence. And maybe that's good in some situations, but as we come to think about blessing, the situation of flying a plane, that comical situation, really is, is fitting. It's sort of comical that you and I would think that we this year could somehow manufacture blessing for ourselves. We'll see later as we get into the, or in the book of James that every good and perfect gift is from above. Every gift, every blessing, every good word. And God reminds us and his people of this in number six, that the Lord blesses, the Lord keeps. It is him and him alone that does this. We read in Psalm 90 earlier that he is the one who establishes the work of our hands. It's a good reminder for us, that blessing, that the establishment, even of the things that we do, the, the, the fruit of our work is, is a reflection of God's blessing. It is him that superintends and makes sure that that happens. We can't work to manufacture blessing for ourselves. Why do we struggle with that? Maybe because up underneath that lack of sort of thought that God is the one blessing us, is a reality that says that we think that the blessing of God is secondary in our life. Think of it this way. If you had to um, write your own benediction for 2024, what would you put in there? 
you might put a few more details in there, right? You might say, the Lord blessed me in this way and that way through this, this situation, this circumstance, uh, this material thing. And we probably want to at least have a footnote that included that information, wouldn't we? And yet, what is the nature of the blessing of God? It is this reality that we are with Him. We'll see that more in a, in a moment, but the blessing of God is focused on who He is and who we are in relation to Him. We'll see other places that God does bless His people materially. There is a sense of, of peace and well-being and flourishing that's even found in this, this passage, but at its very core is a reality of blessing that comes in the relationship that God offers to His people through His covenant, that He claims His people as His own and says, you are my people. I will bless you. I will be with you. This is where we find our true meaning and our true longings met. But as we see in this passage, we see this reality that even as God comes to his people, as he shines his face on his people, there's a reality that many of us hide from his blessing. Many of us hide from his blessing. Look at verse 25. It says this, the Lord makes his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, that's a very important phrase in the Old Testament, this idea of God's face shining on his, on his people. The first time we see it is back in Genesis 3 in the garden where, where God walks with his people. And it is in the language there, the sense of his face being with them. Before the very face of God, his people walked. And we see this throughout, throughout the Psalms and through other places in Scripture. Psalm 4 verse 6 has this psalmist posing the question, who will give us some good? And that answer of where goodness comes from is the shining face of, of God. And so that the language may seem distant to us, and it's not describing a, an, maybe an actual face of God. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like men, but it is a, is a reality of God's presence and his face, so to speak, shining upon us that is a place of great blessing. And it's connected, as verse 25 says, with grace, a graciousness. I see in Scripture that no one can see God's face and live. And there's this, this tension here. How can this wonderful reality of God and His glory and His shining on us be something that is good for us, a place of, of blessing? Because what happens in the garden, right? As soon as God's people know that they are sinners, they, they move away from God's face. They move away from the blessing and the countenance, the face shining on them. They're, they're afraid of it. They move away. Maybe... This has been captured in various places. One place to illustrate comes from a poet from the 1600s, John Donne. He wrote a poem um, on Good Friday in 1613. And he spends a lot of verses in this poem. I'm not going to really read them all. But what he does in this poem is he's sort of riding his horse westward. And he's envisioning his whole ride as if he's running, in a sense, from God. God is gazing on him, and John Donne knows he's a sinner, and so he can't bear to sort of turn around and turn his face towards God. He can't imagine that he could do that. Near the end of the poem, he says this, Restore your image. It means restore the goodness that you created me with. So much by thy grace that thou may know me, and then I'll turn my face. There's this, this tension here that we see even as God comes to bless us. There's a sense that many of us hide from this. How do, how do we hide from God's blessing? Maybe, maybe one way we do this is, is fairly subtle. How many of you have, have used the words, I'm blessed? 
We've probably all said that to a degree. Maybe, maybe we haven't, but, but this is something that is sort of in our vernacular, this language to say, well, I'm, I'm blessed. And often, what do we mean by, by that? What, what's the thing that we're talking about? We're talking about stuff, usually. Sometimes we're talking about family, but usually we're talking about, I bought a new car. I'm blessed. And we might not say that, but it's a way of sort of saying it with a degree of, of humility to move the focus off ourselves. How is that a way of, of hiding? Well, it's a way at least of, of moving from the true giver to the things that he gives. It's saying, I'm blessed because of this stuff. And really, that's not the sense of blessing that we see in number six. The sense of blessing that we see in number six is, is God's very presence. His very relationship with us is the source of blessing. And when we use those words, I'm blessed, they should be directed to the wonderful fact that it is God and His presence that gives us true blessing. The other ways that we hide from the blessing of God, maybe our lives are very painful. Maybe there are places in our life that we just don't want to actually deal with. We don't want to bring them before God, maybe because of shame, maybe because of discouragement. And there's all, all kinds of ways of masking that through our addictions, through our, the things that we just sort of put in our lives to sort of drown out really anything that's tangible, anything that will really press in and say, this is the situation that you find ourselves in. We don't want to turn to God's face, maybe because of shame, maybe because we have done so before and we, we seem to understand that he hasn't really interacted in the way that we thought he would. He hasn't blessed us in the way we thought he would, and so we turn from him. I think it's fitting again to remind ourselves that God's people received these words frequently while they were in the wilderness. William Cooper, a poet and a hymn writer, said this. He says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. These are words that I think help us understand some of this. If our lives don't fully seem in our finite understanding to align with these wonderful words of blessing, it's a reminder that, that what we see here is, is our true north. It's here we orient, orient ourselves towards. Not the circumstances, not the things that may sort of crowd in on our lives, but we have this reality that says, this is what is true of me as one of God's people. That I have the shining face of God who is graciously looking on me, and not in a way that should make me hide, not in a way that should make me run into all the things that I try to, try to cope with in my life, but to actually look toward God and see His goodness. Psalm 34, verse 4 through 5, in, asks us to, instead of hide, to look. These are the words from that psalm. It says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Their faces are radiant, and they shall never be ashamed. It's not talking about maybe a mystical encounter where we see God in some vision. It's talking about turning to Him in His Word through prayer and, and encountering Him there and seeing that He is worthy of praise. He is the one who brings blessing. Instead of hiding, we are invited to look. It's the blessing of this, this psalm, and, or this blessing here. The, it's this picture that we see again and again in Scripture of God saying, I will be with you, even though God's people are sinful. It's the whole problem in much of the Old Testament is how is a holy God going to live with unholy people? And yet we see a God who brings blessing to these people, one who says, 
you can look on me even as I look on you. And so we see that we are restored to blessing. Look with me at verse 26. We see that the Lord lifted up his countenance upon these people and gave his peace. Lifted up his countenance. In a sense, it's, a, it's the same language of face, but it's, it's one of active looking and turning. His sort of countenance rises towards us with intention, with purpose. This is how all of this happens. And what is the, the fallout of this? Well, he gives you peace. He gives you peace. And that's what we're after, isn't it? Peace, this, this rich word, this shalom, this fullness, this is what is offered to us. Peace is not something that is sort of transitory or here for a moment. Even God's people, as they walk through the wilderness, even as you and I continue with our lives, can actually know this peace, a peace that comes from God as he looks on us. And I know that might sound really mystical. That might sound really sort of, how does any of that all come together and, and work? But this is the picture of a God who, who, through his word, promises to do just this, what we've heard, that he would look on us, even now, that he would gaze on us, that God knows us intimately and gives you peace as you turn and trust him. This is not sort of an ancillary, secondary gift. This is what God gives as he gazes on us, his peace. Not only that, but verse 27 gives us more. We are receive peace by his countenance, but we also receive his name. Verse 27, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, that might sound a little odd to us, putting a name on, but in a sense, what is happening is it's saying, through this blessing, it's saying, this is who you are. You are marked off as God's people. The name is stamped on you, so to speak. You cannot remove it. And this isn't the only place in Scripture we see this. If we look at Revelation, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, what do we see? We see that in that final chapter, in this picture where God is again dwelling with his people, what is on the saint's forehead. It's the name of God. The name is put on them. And so what this promise does here, this blessing does here, it reminds us of who we truly are. Daily, weekly, as we receive words like this, it is a reminder to us of this is who you are. This is who you have become because of Christ. Ultimately, that's where all this blessing comes from. This blessing comes from Christ and what he has done. How does a blessing like this work? This isn't sort of a, an automatic blessing where you just sort of receive the words and then you're blessed and it's sort of this assembly line sort of picture. It's not automatic. But there is a, a definiteness to this, this word. And maybe we're, we're fearful of something that is, is definite, but there is a sense here of who is described. Who is described in this passage is God's people who are following him. Those who he has called, those who he has marked off, those who are following his laws. And he says, these are the people that are, are blessed, that I've put my name upon. And so for you and I, as, as New Testament believers, we look at a passage like this with great hope and with great confidence to know that all of this has been fulfilled through Christ. We could spend a few hours looking through a lot of texts that show us that, but one place in particular that shows us that comes in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7, where it says this. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
Now that passage comes in a context. What it is saying is in the Old Testament, remember Moses saw the face of God in some sense and his face was so glorious that he had to wear a veil. But that glory was diminishing and sort of slowly went away. And so what has happened through Christ is a greater glory through the ministry of his spirit. As Christ comes and he is the God who comes in glory but also in flesh. As we see him, we see the Father. All of this comes together in that passage that we read here with this ministry of the Spirit that is now the glory of God. It's a reminder that all of what we see here, this reality that God's face shines upon us, and even as God's people knew that in part in the Old Testament, comes into its crystal clear reality in the New Testament as Christ opens the door so that God can gaze on us and we, through his mercy, can look back on him. It's a wonderful picture, a picture that should give us great hope, a picture that says Christ is the one who has made it possible that we can receive this blessing with confidence, not with trepidation. We don't have to hide from God's face. We don't have to hide from it. Instead, we can look to it and receive this rich blessing of being blessed, of being kept, of being protected, held by God. So what do we do? What do we do with a passage like this? Well, one thing God's people did uh, is they actually took these words and they wrote them on little, little scrolls made of silver. They rolled them up and they tied them on their heads. Actually, the very first recorded words of Scripture ever written down are in that form, a little amulet, so to speak, a little silver scroll with this passage written on it that people would wear. We don't know exactly why, maybe as sort of a, an amulet, a good luck charm, that sort of thing. That's one way we could try to take this passage. But I don't think that's what this passage is, is asking us to do. It's not asking us to make sort of a, a physical gesture that reminds us of this, but it is asking us to say, this is who you are now. This is your identity. This is your story. This is who you are, the people who are blessed by God, whose face shines upon. That's a wonderful identity to have, isn't it? Maybe one way that we're prone to take a passage like this is to make resolutions. Now, I'm not criticizing making resolutions. Maybe you already have your 10 resolutions for the year, your 20 resolutions for the year, written up and ready to go. But there's something behind that idea of making resolutions that I think this passage pushes against, at least the motivation. Often when we make resolutions, there's a sense of saying, I will do this. I must go and manifest my destiny. I must go and finally conquer the weakness in my body and and run that marathon or whatever it might be. Now, there's, there's some good things that come from that. But this passage reminds us again and again that all of the good things in our life, all of the blessings that we have come from God and God alone. It's interesting, as you, as you read biographies of believers who have gone before us, they often wrestle with this, this reality of how do we sort of grow? How do we move forward? How do we do these things? One in particular, Jonathan Edwards, thought about, a lot about making resolutions. When he was young in life, he wrote some resolutions. In fact, he wrote this, Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. That's a good American resolution, isn't it? Did you know what he said later in life of that youthful exuberance? He said, I pursued it more than anything in my life, but with too great a dependence on my own strength, which afterward proved a great damage to me. What Numbers 6 reminds us is not to not make resolutions, 
but to do so knowing that you are already blessed in and through Christ, that God's verdict on you is already in, in and through Christ, what he accomplished on the cross. So in a real sense, the wrong question is, what do I do? Instead, the question is something like this, is how do I enjoy and move forward in dependence on God's blessing? How do I move forward into a new year knowing that God has blessed me, knowing that God's face shines upon me, to know that we are blessed? There's a remarkable story at the end of Numbers, the story of Balaam, right? This, this individual comes to try to curse God's people, but what happens? He keeps blessing them. And it's not like God's people are out there doing everything they're supposed to be doing, but it's a reminder of how God works. God is a person who blesses. God is a trinity who blesses us through Christ, through the Spirit. And so we can wait with fullness for that blessing. Wait with hope. Wait to know that this blessing is not distant and far off, but even now can be seen through His Word, through His sacrament, through prayer. That we can know that God shines His face upon us. So what happens as we are blessed with these words? It's not a magical, mystical spell, but a reflection, a reminder, a seal of what is true to know that you are God's children through Christ, that you have been made that way. And that is the story that we get to be part of next year. We don't have to sort of wait for our George Bailey moment where we have our whole life sort of laid out for us and know our story. No, we know our story. We know that we are those who are blessed by God. Through Christ, God's face shines upon us. He gazes on us. He lifts, lifts his countenance to us and gives us peace by His grace. And with that, we can live with confidence, and we can actually enjoy the blessing of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, would we not be forgetful? Would we be those who know that we have been blessed by You? Lord, if there are those here this morning who don't know if they know the blessing of God, they don't know if they have repented and turned of their sins, Lord, would they, would they do so? by the power of your Spirit, so that they might know this blessing, this peace. Lord, would you do that by the power of your Spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.